Thanks for listening to the Mercy Church Podcast. If you're in the area, we want to invite you to join us the last weekend in March as we celebrate Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Good Friday services will be at 6 p.m. on Friday evening. And then on Sunday morning, we invite you to join us for a time of worship, a message, and baptisms. Bring your friends, your family, and if you feel so led, invite your coworker, cashier, or barista to join you. Services will be held at regular service times at all campuses. To learn more, visit mercycharlotte.com slash events. Again, that's mercycharlotte.com slash events. Hey, good morning, Mercy Church. And let me talk to you for a second. If you are a college student here with us, listen up. The summer that I spent in college on mission, like we're calling you to a city project, was, and this is not overspeak, it was a defining moment in my life. All right, God used it to wake me up to what he is doing around the world. Uh, He used it to train me and how to share and speak the gospel in a non-Christian environment, which was a huge help when I graduated college and went into the workplace. Listen, I know right now you're going through that process of what am I gonna do? What am I gonna give my summer to? Am I gonna get a job to boost the resume a little bit or make a little extra cash? And I wanna tell you, the city project program we're doing is the best way you could invest your summer. It's gonna be an incredible an incredible eight weeks, all right? You're gonna get Bible training. You're gonna get worldview training. You're gonna get a local, national, and international missions experience, all right? It's going to be, you're gonna make some really super tight friendships in the process, all right? I want you, I know there are a lot of things you could do as you're trying to figure it out, and I'm telling you there is no better way to invest your summer. You only get a couple of summers, right? You only get a few shots at this, and anybody who's out of school is gonna tell you they wish they would've done it if they didn't, and if they did do it, they'll be the first ones to come and tell you it's worth it. So jump in, you can still apply. We got plenty of people who are doing it, but we got room for you, so go on to our website and apply to be a part of City Project, all right? Now listen, if you're not in college, and you're like me, uh, you're sitting there going, man, I wish I had eight weeks that I could go and do that and get that kind of training. Listen, I want you to know, training and sending. It is at the very heartbeat of who we are as a church. All right, we wanna see a gospel awakening come to the city, and here's what we know. That happens one individual at a time, and it happens when the church is trained up and sent out with the gospel to go engage their friends, go engage their their networks of people and share the hope of Christ with them. And then what happens is God starts to spark change in individual lives, right? Starts to heal marriages, right? Starts to restore families and bring purpose to individuals. And when that happens time and time again, it starts to change the fabric of the city. And so we know the best thing we can do is give ourselves to training up and sending out and taking risks and challenging you to invest your life for the sake of the gospel. We had a huge one just four weeks ago, right? Four weeks ago, we sent out like 200 people to go and start our Providence Road location, right? So now we have two locations. We are one church that meets in two locations on Sunday morning. We meet over on Providence Road and over off of Independence Boulevard at the Levine Senior Center. One church, we have the same sermon um, every weekend. We have the same ministries that are going on. We are one church, but we're in two locations because we saw an opportunity in the Providence Road area to be, we had a bunch of members already coming from that area. And we said, hey, here's a chance for them, for us to train them up, for them to go and to reach people in their community with the gospel. And we opened up space for their friends, family members, coworkers to come and hear the gospel. 
Because we're all about the awakening that we want to see happen, that we believe God has called us to be a part of. And listen, here's the cool thing. Now, for the first time in two years, we actually have opened up room for more people to come and be a part of that mission with us. And in the first three weeks that we've been in two locations, we've had 43 people who have visited Mercy Church for the very first time, and that's not even including any kids they might have brought with them. All right, it's incredible to see. Listen, um, we have four services now, and we sent out 200 people from our Independence location to come to Providence Road, like I said. The second week being in two locations, our 11 o'clock service at Independence was completely full, right? In fact, we were adding chairs in the back, and our AV guys were like holding up their laptops and doing this number while we're adding chairs. We took their table away, right? Um, It's really cool to see what God is doing, but listen, now is the time. I'm telling you this because now is the time for you to step off the sidelines and get involved in ministry here. We didn't just expand seats so the people could come and sit. We expanded ministry, Right, so the people could come and get trained up and sent out with the gospel. And now's the time for you to step off the sidelines. We've got openings in every ministry team, and we train all our ministry teams. We've got short-term trips going to every corner of the globe, I think, this year, and you need to come and be a part of that. Don't let college students be the only ones that show courage in trusting the Lord this year. Yeah. All right, you step off the sidelines, and you get involved. This ain't even the sermon. <laughs> I'm just, I'm so excited about what the Lord is doing here, and now is such a great time for you to step off and to, to get involved for the sake of being trained up with the gospel, all right? Here's how you can do that. All right, at our Providence Road location, um, Joey Schwartz, he's our associate campus director. He's the guy you need to see. And if you're over at our Independence campus, you need to see Justin Sawyer, our Connections resident. He's the guy that'll help you take a step to get onto a ministry team, uh, to figure out more if you're like, I'm just brand new here. These guys will help you get plugged into what's going on around here, all right? Now, with all that said, Let's jump into the Bible. You got your Bible? Head over to the book of Psalms. If you have a print version of the Bible, you just kind of like hold it open and then open it to the middle. I bet you'll hit the Psalm somewhere, okay? We're going to be in Psalm 63. If you have a digital version, just, you know, scroll your way there. Um, We're going to be in Psalm 63. We're finishing up this part of our series in the Psalms. We've been doing this for about three years now, where we, um, where we open the year in the Psalms, kind of to, to reset our spiritual lives, to make sure that God is not just something we know about, but that he is a person that we know. And man, I've just been really encouraged by conversations with you. Um, some of you have given your life to Christ this month, and I'm, we are praising God with you uh, for what he's doing in your life. We're rejoicing there. And listen, If that's not you, if you're not there, you're not a Christian, but you're here and you're kind of checking this whole thing out, um, listen, if you feel like you don't know God, listen, the great, great thing here is that there are 150 of these psalms, all right? And they are written out like prayers that you can actually speak back to the Lord. And you're here with a community of people that would love to help you take some steps in figuring out what it means to know God. We are a church where people come as they are, and we just believe that the Lord is not going to keep you there. He is going to make good on who he is and who he says he is, and he is going to bring you closer to him if you will simply engage with him and his people. All right, now listen, in today's Psalm, in fact, if that's you, you're kind of newer to church, you're not really sure where you stand with God, Psalm 63 is a perfect Psalm for you. And that's because David wrote Psalm 63 while he was in the wilderness running from his enemies. He's the rightful king Yet he's running, he's stuck out in the wilderness. And so today we're talking about how to find help from God in the wilderness. Listen, I know last week was a pretty intense one. Um, Well, listen, so is this week, all right? Maybe even more so. So you're just gonna have to buckle up, all right? We don't come in here to just go through a routine or to play games. 
We come in here to worship our God who is living and active and powerful, and we believe that we can see our lives rescued, redeemed, and sent out with purpose. That's how we engage it every week that way, all right? So um, Psalm 63, I'm going to read the whole psalm, all right, 11 verses, and then we're going to dig into it, okay? So here we go. God, you're my God. I eagerly seek you. I thirst for you. My body faints for you in a land that is dry, desolate, and without water. So I gaze on you in the sanctuary to see your strength and your glory. My lips will glorify you because your faithful love is better than life. So I will bless you as long as I live. At your name, I will lift up my hands. You satisfy me as with rich food. My mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I think of you as I lie on my bed, I meditate on you during the night watches because you are my helper. I will rejoice in the shadow of your wings. I follow close to you. Your right hand holds on to me. But those who intend to destroy my life will go into the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the power of the sword. They will become a meal for jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by him will boast, for the mouths of liars will be shut. Here's how we're going to approach Psalm 63. We're going to approach it as a field guide, all right? A field guide for trusting God in the wilderness. Now, you remember the the context of this, or if you don't know it, his son, Absalom, is hunting him, trying to kill him. This psalm is not David doubting whether or not God exists, okay? That's why this psalm is helpful to you, because it's David in a pretty crummy situation in his life, and in that situation, we see him express a faith a confident trust in God that honestly, we all want to have And when we find ourselves in wilderness like he's in. This isn't David struggling to believe. That would make it a, a pretty bad field guide. Like, you don't want Spence writing a field guide for how to survive in the actual wilderness. All right, you don't want that. Like, if there are not matches and newspaper, right, and even some lighter fluid, there will not be a fire for us in the wilderness, okay? If you entrust um, gathering food to me, um, and, and I go down by the river, unless sushi jumps out of the water and lands on the plate, we're not, we not going to be eating. I'm definitely going to pick the poisonous berries, right? If a bear comes across our campsite, I have no idea what to do. I'm not sure that I'm ready to do the whole, like, all right, just stand up and be really big. That's risky, right? You could die. So I'm going to run because I don't have to run the, outrun the bear. I just got to outrun you, right? This is going to happen there. So you don't want me writing the field guide, but we've got a, a, one of our fifth graders, Camden Foster, is a Boy Scout, right? He's learning all the stuff out in the wilderness, teaching me from time to time different things, right? He's the guy, and when, by the time he's an Eagle Scout, he's the guy you want writing about how to walk through the wilderness because he's going to have a lot of experience in it. Listen, This guy, David, David's experienced. He is the man, the Bible says, time and time again, from when he was anointed king all the way through to Acts 13, time and time again, they're like, David was the man after God's own heart. He walked closely with the Lord. This is David, the expert, you could say, in being close to God, going through a real-life struggle and showing through his own experience how to get help from God in this time of struggle. 
And the reason that's important is because, listen, I hate that it's a promise, but it's a promise. You will find yourself in the wilderness someday. You will be there. You'll be in a place where you feel uncertain, where your future feels uncertain, where you, you feel like you're not where you're supposed to be in your life. You feel like you're walking without a compass, not sure where you're heading, not sure what God's doing in the middle of all this. Who am I? Where am I? What am I supposed to do now? Listen, sometimes that comes out of some bad decisions that you make and you're the one responsible for it. But sometimes life just hits you with a huge crisis out of nowhere, like a death in the family or an unexpected diagnosis or a friend who you love and thought you really trusted betrays you. Or maybe you just, you lose a job. Your boss tells you you're done and you really didn't expect that. That's just reality, y'all. In this life, there will be suffering. Times where the best way to describe it is you are in the wilderness. I promise you're either on your way there or you are there, or maybe you're looking back having just been there and you may be there again in your life. So here's what happens when I bring that up on a day like today. Immediately, there's a group of you that relate. You relate because you're like, how did this happen? I that's where I am in my life. How did I wind up here this morning? And you're calling out exactly what I'm going through. I feel like I'm in the wilderness. That's exactly what's going on. Listen, um, God is God. I've learned to be less surprised and more encouraged when moments like that happen. And so if that's you and you're here and you're like, yeah, that's exactly where I am, that is not coincidence. That is God bringing you here to do something in your life this morning. All right, that's what's going to happen. In fact, uh, we are kind of building Mercy Church to be a church for wilderness people. Uh, I don't know if that sounds weird or not, but we are, where people come with all their questions and all their uncertainties about who God is and find help from God in the middle of their wilderness. So you are in the right place today. Now listen, some of you, that's not you, but you're a friend to someone who's in the wilderness. In fact, maybe they're sitting beside you. <laughs> but whatever it is, whether they're here or not, you're the friend. And listen, you need to lock in today because you need to be able to take this and go. Like we said, we're going to see that God spark awakenings individual by individual around the city. And he's going to use you to help your friend through that wilderness come to know God. Listen, here's the hope for everybody. All right. Here, here's your hope. God does some of his best work in the wilderness. He does it in the wilderness. And I'm telling you, if I were to take a poll and say, okay, everybody, show of hands, how many of you have seen God work in the wilderness in your life? I know over half the hands in the room would go up. So let's jump in and see how to find help from God in the wilderness. We're gonna, I'm kind of not just gonna go, usually I go verse by verse through of the psalm. We're gonna sort of take that approach, but a bigger, uh, the idea is I'm just gonna pull out a couple of threads, okay, uh, for you to find help, all right, in this, in this guide, we're talking about this field guide. So verse one, God, you are my God. I eagerly seek you, I thirst for you. Listen to this language, my body faints for you in a land that is dry, desolate, without water. David starts by making a pronouncement. God, you are my God, my God. That's personal, right? I mean, how many people do you call mine, right? In fact, if I were to say, when I say, hey, that's my Courtney or my Zeke or my Ellie, you're assuming that I'm talking about someone in my immediate family, like that's a spouse or one of my children, right? I got some friends in my community group, but if I say that's my Devin, Devin's gonna be like, what? You know, that's, I don't know that I'm yours. Like, you know what I mean? He said that you are my God, and that sets up everything else. If you cannot say that the God of the Bible, 
like David is saying here, the God of Noah, the God of Moses, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, if you cannot say that that God is your God, the rest of the promises I have for you are not available to you yet. You have to say, I am not God. I am not my own authority, nor is anything else. You are my God. God, you are my God. You're my provider. You're my redeemer. You're my creator, and you're my king. Because listen, something's your God. We were created to worship. As humans, we can't help but have something as our God. Something's in control. Something's calling the shots, right? There's something that is determining the decisions you're making. There's a value set you have that's determining your decisions. Whatever that is, that's what you live by. That's your God. Maybe it's you. Maybe it's leisure. Maybe it's success. Maybe it's the approval of others. In the wilderness, here's the thing. In the wilderness, those gods usually get exposed for the liars that they are. And maybe that's what's happening to you now. He says, eagerly, I seek you. This is not, God, I'm seeking you because I hope that you're up there somewhere. This is, listen, I'm seeking you, God, because I've found you before. Really pay attention to the words here. Important Bible reading discipline. Don't read what you think it says or what you want it to say. Read what it really says. He's not seeking relief from his circumstances. He's in a land without water, but he's not seeking water. He's seeking God. His body is fainting because physically he's malnourished, but he says it's really fainting for God. C.S. Lewis, he said these verses and, and ones like it, you see a lot of these in the Psalms, they describe our appetite for God. For David, his hunger and thirst is for God. And our field guide for finding God in the wilderness, it begins with a really truthfully, a very uplifting truth. It might take a minute to get your mind around, but this is so important for you as you start in uh, trying to get help from God in the wilderness. Here's how it starts. Our appetite for God, that hunger and thirst, our appetite for God is a gift from God. It's a gift from God. I want you to, you may have to, we always all kind of turn our brains up a level, but go with me here. When we first, um, often in our lives, when we first kind of start out towards God, we almost always go to him because we want something from him. And we hope that uh, he'll give us something that we want in life. We want meaning in our lives. Maybe we just need help fixing a big problem, something like that. It's normal. But y'all, that is self-focused seeking. It's not really an appetite for God. It's an appetite for those things. And God is a means to those ends. But when you get to the place where you cry out like David is crying out here, that's a longing that comes out of an experience that you've had being satisfied with God for who he is, not for what he can give you. You know, first, again, it's often, if you love me, then please, God, give me a good life. But When you actually experience a relationship with God, it changes to, God, if I have your love, I don't need anything else in this life. That's why he says in verse four, your faithful love is actually better than life itself. What that means when you're honestly praying that prayer, is that you've experienced the goodness of knowing God. That appetite for more of him, because you've experienced him, is a gift from God. Only a soul who has experienced God's presence before, who has experienced the soul-quenching satisfaction of knowing God, will say that he hungers and thirsts for God now. Listen, that's just the reality of the way um, sin affects us. Listen, people hunger and thirst for spiritual experiences. Yes, for sure. The book of Acts will tell us that time and time again. But there's a difference. See, our sin causes us to reject the one true God. 
But when God breaks down that sin wall and brings us to saving faith in Christ, we develop an appetite for God, and that appetite is a gift. The longing to be near to him, if that's where you are in the wilderness today, and that longing is genuine for him and not for stuff, not for reprieve from circumstances, if that longing is for him, that's a sign that he's closer than you think. Don't think of your longing for God as a, as a curse. It's a blessing because only the spirit of God in you can create the desire for more of God. It means God is with you. You catch that because God has promised that when he comes, when you trust your salvation and redemption to Christ, that he sends his Holy Spirit to live with you and he says he will never leave you. So in the wilderness where you're like, God, I just want more of you, that sense of his absence, if you will, is actually a sign of his presence. So listen, this, this first principle in the field guide, it, it's both a test and it's a discipline. I think most of these will be today. It's a test because it gives you something to assess your life by, right? Like I said, David's kind of the expert, something to measure up to, but it's also a calling to a way of life, to disciplines that will yield good fruit. So let me ask you, what are you hungry for now? What are you hungering for? Are you hungry for what God can give you? Or are you hungry for God himself? David had plenty of life situations that he could have used God's help with. But God had brought him to a place where God's love, God himself, was better than life. So whether life was good and he was on a throne in the palace, or life was tough and he was out in the wilderness... No matter the circumstances, his hunger stayed the same. His appetite was for God, and that was good for him. So let me tell you, I, kind of the natural way to go from here is, all right, how do you grow your appetite for God? Well, a couple of things to use this kind of imagery of appetite. Here's the first one. Don't spoil your appetite with junk gods. Listen, my kiddos, I love them. Sometimes they will find a way to eat junk food or let's just say ice cream because as often as they can, that's what that'll be. They will eat ice cream at 4.30 in the afternoon. We have dinner at 6. When they eat ice cream at 4.30 in the afternoon, they don't eat their dinner at 6 o'clock. Their junk food has spoiled their appetite for good nourishing food. In the same way, we spoil our appetite for God when we pursue other things. I mean, even just the big three, sex, money, power. But you also have leisure. You have the approval that I was talking about earlier, the approval of men, success, all those kinds of things. These things might give us a sugar rush, but it spoils the feast that we could have had. So we gotta get rid of them if we're gonna know God. And listen, the thing is, it won't happen overnight. Change, changing your appetite, it's gonna take trust and it's gonna take time. It's gonna take trust to believe that when you get rid of those things, that God is going to supply you with something better. And it's gonna take time for your taste buds to change and adjust to what a true feast on God and who he is looks like. You wanna know what your junk gods are so you can start getting rid of them? Listen, what do you fantasize about? What do you spend your time thinking about when you're all alone? What do you escape to? That's a real one right there. Netflix, that's a junk God. Alcohol, that's a junk God. Work success, junk God. Gossip, junk God. Sex, junk God. 
junk food, junk God, right? Momentary high that leaves you feeling worse. That's not none of those things. Listen, some of those things, there are plenty of good things when we put them into that role of escaping into them to find satisfaction and to find comfort. They become junk gods, food for your soul that your soul was never meant to feast on. And the great thing about the wilderness, sometimes you get there because you're being stripped of those junk gods. Thank the Lord for that. One of my community group members said the other day that she, um, we were talking about um, the psalm from last weekend, and she goes, you know, I just really love the darkness. And we're like, are you okay? <laughs> you know, what's, what's that about? And she says, no, the darkness or the wilderness. She says she loves it because there in the wilderness is a shaking up and a stripping away that God uses to reveal what junk gods you've been consuming and to recalibrate your soul back to the one true God. And maybe today he's making you aware of that. Now, listen, here's the second thing. Once you get rid of those junk gods, the second kind of natural progression from there is feast on the things of God. Develop an appetite through sitting and studying about God. That's what's so great about the Psalms. They're like a journal of prayers already written that you can pray through and you can meditate on everything there is to know about God. So take things from the scriptures and start to, pray through those instead of filling your life, your prayer life with gimmies. God, give me this. God, give me that. God, give me this. God, give me that. That's not going to satisfy your soul. Instead, do like David is doing and saying, God, I long to see your glory and your power. That's verse two. That's, I want to see that not just your love, your faithful love is better than life, verse four, but I want to see your glory and power reflect on the whole range of his character. His love, his holiness, see him entirely. And listen to me, discipline yourself to stay there in God's word and stay there among God's people who are speaking God's truth over you until he changes your appetite because I promise you he will. He says his word is living and active. So when you get in it, the spirit of God will work through that and will change your desires. He'll use it. And he'll use God's people just to catalyze that, just to make that run. We got to keep going. Verse two, something else you're going to see here is critical in the wilderness. So I gaze on you in the sanctuary to see your strength and your glory. Now, normally I use the translation, the CSB, Christian Standard um, Bible. Uh, That's what I'm using right here. But in this case, uh, the translation messes a little bit because you can't see the tenses that evoke a really important concept. And the one that actually does the best job is the King James Version. Now, warning, it's written in 1611, so the language is a little old, all right? But it's very helpful. Listen to how the King James Version says it. It says, to see thy power and thy glory, almost like saying to see again, so as I have seen thee in the sanctuary. I want to see you again like I have seen you before. And this helps me a great deal. David's longing for God in the wilderness is fueled and sustained by remembering God's work in the past. David remembers the temple. He remembers the representation of God's presence among his people. This was a holy place because the power and the glory of the Lord was so concentrated there, you couldn't even go into the Holy of Holies unless you'd be consumed by it. And it's, da- it's there. David remembers his fellowship with God from there, how God's presence was David's shelter. His past experience of God's faithfulness 
comforts him in the wilderness and gives him confidence that God will deliver him from the wilderness. All right, look at verse seven. Because you are my helper, I will rejoice in the shadow of your wings. How does David know that God is his helper? He's experienced the help of God. With Goliath, with Jonathan, with Saul, his life has been filled with God carrying him through really hard moments and then him looking back on it and saying, wow, wow, look at God. God is so good. So he says, Lord, because you are, because you are. I've seen you in the past, so I know it to be true. And I know you don't change. That's how you can say you are, because God never changes. It's not you were, just you were my helper. You are, because you never change. So I will rejoice in the shadow of your wings. I will worship. I will take refuge in you, even here in the wilderness. And here's the second lesson in this field guide. It should be a familiar one to you, the, the concept at least, if you've been around mercy for a while. If you find yourself in the wilderness, recall his faithfulness to you. Crisis has such a way of blocking our memory, doesn't it? We get tunnel vision. We get focused entirely on the present. We forget the past, even if we even forget the very short-term past. And what David is doing here in the wilderness, and what a lot of this psalm is, is just taking time to remember that David's relationship with God has a history. He and God have time together before this. In fact, if you read the Bible regularly, a huge thread throughout this whole thing, is God reminding his people that he's always been faithful to them. One of the main reasons he does it, he says, listen, remember my faithfulness so you're not afraid in the present. Right? One of the, you know there's um, the command, do not fear, is in the Bible 365 times. Fresh one for every day of the year. The God of your past is the God of your present and the God of your future. There are a few times in Israel's story where after a big moment that God clearly shows up and delivers, they take time to set up memorials to what just happened. Joshua 4, you got these stones of remembrance. Um, they cross the Jordan River. God parts the waters. They cross the river, and then they set up um, 12 memorial stones so that they can remember God's faithfulness. You got 1 Samuel 7. Israel routes the Philistines. It's shortly before David's time. And there's this clear victory from God. So Samuel, the prophet, he puts, he erects a stone called an Ebenezer that, that means help from God so that they will remember when God gave them the victory. Y'all, the Psalms are full of this, full of remembering this is God who brought you out of Egypt. So remember and believe. Now, Christian, you're Ebenezer. It's the cross and the empty tomb, Right? Jesus died for you. He rose from the grave, defeating death for you. So what we say all the time is surely God didn't die on the cross for you just to forget you now in the wilderness. No, the same God that loved you then loves you now. And he's with you now. He's with you now. Another Ebenezer is your baptism where you publicly identified yourself with Christ. That's the moment you look back on and you say, that God, my God worked in my life. And there's others, I'm sure. You know, for me, there's a couple that I think of real quick. Um, when we went to seminary, we both, uh, me and my wife, we quit our jobs. We were scraping by for months. We were looking for work. We couldn't find anything. And we're like, maybe this is just a huge mistake. And then Courtney um, got a, a job connected through the most random of relationships that ended up being exactly the thing she trained for in college. And it was what um, provided for us for those three years. Some Ebenezer's are like that. They're material. Not all of them. 
Another one of mine is um, when we lost a child in miscarriage. God revealed himself to us that he was going to be enough to carry us through really deep pain. That was an Ebenezer moment. Another couple of friends who stepped in uh, to help us manage a really hard time in our marriage where the stresses of, of work and family were really starting to take their toll on us, and God worked through them. I think God is actually putting up one right now that in our life that we're just a little too close to still in the area of grieving, and I think we're going to look back on it and see God carried us again. So if you're in the wilderness right now, my, my admonition to you is you need to be in the wilderness with a journal, all right? with something where you can write down the Ebenezer's in your life of the past. God has been faithful. His past grace, because remember, he's a God who never changes. His past faithfulness and grace is a promise to you of future faithfulness. Verse three, my lips will glorify you because your faithful love is better than life. I've experienced it. And y'all, I need to say something um, really important here in this whole recall thing. This, what I'm about to say, is a preventative measure that you can take to prepare yourself for the wilderness. Because like I said, you're gonna all get in the, we all will be in the wilderness one day or another. And here it is. Listen, routine worship is training for wilderness worship. Your daily time with the Lord, your weekly time with God's people in here in corporate worship, your regular interaction with God's people throughout the week, that's building something in you. It's strengthening your worship muscles to prepare you for the wilderness. I got a buddy um, I was talking to yesterday. He runs ultra marathons, okay? So um, last year, he ran the Hellbender 100 in the um, Blue Ridge Mountains where you run 100 miles. You have to do it in 40 hours where they just stop you, right? It's 40 plus thousand feet of elevation change over the course of the time, all right? Just to, um, just to register, you have to have run another 100 miler where you had at least 14,000 um, feet of elevation change and a 70 miler in the past 18 months, right? Just to register. Listen, <laughs> yesterday I tried to run three miles on a sidewalk and almost died, okay? <laughs> <laughs> if I were thrust into the hellbender, I would die, right? And eventually news would come out that they found me, I hope, right? But that'd be what would happen. I'm not ready. You don't run the hellbender unless you've run before. When you get into the wilderness, what's going to happen is you're going to find out who you were in everyday life. And if you don't have a discipline and routine of worship now, you don't have a chance in the wilderness, Here's the deal. You're going to find yourself in the wilderness one day, but you don't get to register for that, all right? You don't get to register, do two years of training, and when you're in peak worship conditioning, then you'll get to be in the wilderness. No, you never know when it's coming. So you got to be training. And I know that 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 could come across as fear motivation, but it's definitely not. Here's why. The training I'm talking about is regular time in your Bible, meditating on God and worship and fellowship with the people of God. And that's what you're created for anyways. That's feasting on the things of God, which is good and nourishing to your soul, which leads right to a critical point about finding God in the wilderness. I think it's the last one we're going to have time to cover today. Remember how the psalm ended? verses 8 through 11. At verse 9, it takes a turn, but you got to see verse 8 with it. I follow close to you. Literally, my soul clings to you. 
your right hand holds on to me. Those who intend to destroy my life will go into the depths of the earth. They'll, give, they'll be given over to the power of the sword. They will become mule, uh, a mule for jackals, but the king will rejoice in God. You don't know on that. I'll explain why. All who swear by him will boast, for the mouths of liars will be shut. Verse 8 shows you David's decision on how to handle himself in the wilderness. Based on everything he knows about God, even out in the wilderness, he says, I'm clinging to you. I'm following you. And as my soul clings to you, your right hand is going to hold on to me. Your right hand guides me. The right hand of a ruler is a place of honor. And David says, God, you have put me there? Psalm 73, David says, the Lord holds his right hand all the way even through death. David believes that when he puts himself out there and clings to God, he knows God's there. He knows it. And here's the, the, last, the last kind of call today in the wilderness. Listen to me, Christ is the king of the wilderness. So you can cling to him, cling to him. David looks with confidence in the future and he believes that God will bring justice on the wicked. It's not just David. All scripture makes that a very clear promise. One day, God will bring justice onto those who choose to defy him in this life. Second Thessalonians 1, God will repay affliction to those who have, ex who have executed affliction on others. And what you need to see is David is saying, I'm leaving that in God's hands. This will happen, but it's not on me. There's a lot more in last week's sermon on how you can forgive instead of seeking vengeance, but he says in verse 11, the king will rejoice in God. Now, I want you to watch this. When David was a young man, the prophet Samuel came to his house and lined up his brothers, his dad, Jesse, and all his brothers, lined them up, and God told Samuel to anoint David, the youngest of the boys, anoint him as the future king of Israel. This was not that the king will rejoice in God. That's David putting a label that God put on him. That's David now claiming that in this moment. And this isn't some label that he won through democratic election. This is the identity that God has given him. And David is leaning back into that. And in the, wilderness, you, in the wilderness, you have the chance to strip away any other identity that you have and just call yourself by what God has called you. In Christ, he has called you child. He's called you son or daughter. Y'all, we all wear labels and we let them seep into our identity and who we, who we think we have to be. Boss, employee, spouse, friend, parent, student, graduate, all those labels come with expectations. And man, those expectations give us anxiety. You know, things like I'm 30 years old, I'm single, but my expectation was that I'd be married and have children by now. And now I'm stressing because I'm behind. Or maybe it's I'm 50 years old and I thought I'd be advancing in a career, but I feel stuck and like life has just passed me by. Those are expectations from a label. I'm supposed to be the one inter interviewing for the big promotion, but I'm not the one getting it. It's another label. I didn't make varsity. It's a label. I don't have a date for prom. That's a label. I made a B in AP calculus, and I'm only supposed to make straight A's. It's a label. My church has to grow larger and faster than other churches, or I'm a failure. That's a label. And God looks at us, and he says, listen to me. Out here in the wilderness, you can just strip off all those labels. Find some freedom in that. God says that Christ is the king. 
here in the wilderness, and he looks at you and says, you got one label, only one, child. You're just child. And you know what he tells us to do? He says, cast your burdens onto him. He says his yoke is easy and his burden is light because it's a father giving it to a child, not giving him anything that he couldn't carry. Your one expectation that you have to manage with God is just cry out, Abba, Father. Just go to him. He's there in the wilderness. Whether you put yourself in the wilderness through your own sin or through circumstances you never had any control over, I want to tell you that your cry is the same, Abba, Father, God, you can turn to him today. That's how I want to close. I want to close letting you turn back to God and cry out to God on your own. I want to lead you through that time. So you bow your head and you close your eyes and let's do business with God right now. If you're in the wilderness, listen, the prayer is so, thanks be to God, so simple. Just open your hands. God, the weight of what I'm carrying is too much. Maybe you're finally gonna confess the sin to him that has brought you in the wilderness, or maybe you just need to say, God, the, the suffering, this, this whole situation that I've wound up in is too much. I give it to you. And like a child, I'm just saying, Father, help me. I believe that you are the king, even in the wilderness. I remember how you were faithful to me before. Tell him in your own words, think back on where he was faithful and tell him, God, you were faithful here, you were faithful here, you were faithful here. You were faithful at the cross. You can't think of anything? God, you were faithful on the cross. You died. You were faithful in the empty tomb. You rode, you defeated death so I don't have to face death, only a shadow of it, and then I get to spend eternity with you. Celebrate with him, his faithfulness. Tell him you're seeking. Remember that as you seek him, that's a gift from him. That's him drawing you back to him. It's good. And if you're not a Christian, I just know that today is the day for some. Today is the day. God brought you to the wilderness so that you would finally see him. And as your head is bowed and your eyes are closed, the prayer is simply, God, I see now that I've been living my life without you. And it's not working. I see that you are the one true God. And today I'm saying you are my God, which means I'm turning from my sin. I'm turning away from that. I'm turning away from me being in charge. I'm giving you control of my life. I believe Christ died as a payment for my sin. I believe he rose again. I receive, because this is all a child has to do, y'all, just receive the salvation that, he, that you offer me. You tell him, I receive that salvation from my sin today. Thank you, God saving me. God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. Oh, 
Thank you that in the wilderness where life feels like it's gonna swallow us, you are there and you are the king and you will not let us go. Your right hand holds us still even now. We cling to you, we cling to that truth and we worship the one true God. We praise you in Christ's name, amen.